In this episode of Menagerie, we're going to learn some things about Santa Claus. So, if you're listening with a child and you think they could still go a little while without learning everything there is to know about Santa Claus, you may want to save this episode until they're not around. This is your chance to quit while you're ahead. Okay, little kids are out of the room. Great. This is Menagerie. There are a lot of unbelievable things about the Santa Claus myth. The team of elves, the constant surveillance of young children, a notoriously fat man's penchant for entering homes through the least convenient portal possible. Maybe the most unbelievable is the team of flying reindeer. So just how did Santa get paired with this unlikely means of transportation? Well, he had a little help from a retail giant, a clever marketing campaign, and a meat magnate known as the Reindeer King. Carl Lohman arrived in Nome, Alaska in 1900, along with his father George and pretty much the entire rest of the population of Nome, Alaska. A gold rush had suddenly turned what was once a barren stretch of shore into a sprawling tent city of miners and those seeking to make a living off of them. The Lomans were the latter, a father and son tempted from the comfort of St. Paul to the wilds of Alaska with the promise of money not made from mining gold, but just opening a general store where one was needed. After the gold rush crowd thinned out, the Lomans remained behind. They even sent for Carl's brothers, who helped the family diversify its holdings into a successful series of trading posts, general stores, pharmacies, clothers, even a photo studio. It wasn't just business concerns either. Lomans served Nome as attorneys, notaries, and a chief of police. Today, though, the Lomans aren't remembered for their successful businesses or their many civic achievements. Instead, it was a business that ultimately flopped that would make the family famous. This is the story of how Carl Lohman acquired a herd of reindeer, which soon became many herds of reindeer, and how he turned a sausage marketing campaign into part of Christmas mythology. If the idea of herding domestic reindeer as food animals, like cows, sounds strange to you, you're not alone. But over the years, many people in Arctic regions throughout Russia, Europe, and Canada have based whole lifestyles around following herds of reindeer, or caribou, on their migrations. Because of this, some reindeer herds have become semi-domesticated. While these animals are accustomed enough to the presence of humans that they'll let themselves be milked or lassoed, they're not fully tamed in the way we tend to think of ranch animals like cows or pigs or chickens. While there are small groups of reindeer herding peoples in Alaska, the most prominent natives of the region, the Eskimo, rarely herded caribou. At least, they didn't until the last years of the 19th century. That's when missionary William Thomas Lopp began arguing for the importation of semi-domestic reindeer from Russia, where they were herded by groups like the Yakut and Nenets. It was clear to Lopp that the growing presence of white settlers, like himself, for instance, was bound to forever change the lifestyles of Alaska's native peoples. 
He hoped that some of those changes, at least, could be for the good. If the practice of reindeer herding could be spread to more Eskimo natives, Lop reasoned, it could prove a sustainable lifestyle that wouldn't leave them beholden to white settlers. Eventually, he talked the United States Congress into funding the effort, which would be administered by missions like his own. There were difficulties getting domestic reindeer to Alaska right from the start. Convincing tribes in Russia to train reindeer meat and skins was no problem. Talking them into selling live reindeer, though, was a huge challenge. Trading trips that took months of sailing through ice-packed seas ended in negotiations that sometimes netted just a couple dozen animals. As difficult as it was to bring reindeer across the Bering Strait, though, it was preferable to the other option. Purchasing Scandinavian reindeer from Sweden and Finland, then shipping them across the Atlantic by boat and across North America by rail. Believe it or not, a lot of people actually tried this, and it ended in disaster nearly every time. One would-be importer, David O'Neill, shipped a herd of 34 reindeer from Hamburg, Germany, to the Alaskan port of Skagway. 33 of them died before they made it to the docks. The only one that made it off the gangplank passed away on the wharf, dying before it ever set foot on Alaskan soil. Eventually, though, the process took hold. The U.S. government bought reindeer, the missions leased them, and native Eskimos cared for the animals during five-year apprenticeships. The programs were overseen by herders from the Sami and Lap communities, longtime reindeer wranglers who were imported from Finland and Sweden with more success than their ungulate counterparts. At the end of their contracts, both Scandinavian and Eskimo participants were granted their own herds and went into business for themselves. By 1915, there were an estimated 100,000 reindeer in Alaska, mostly in small, native-owned herds of less than 50 animals. No one was getting rich, but thousands of natives had started to make their livings off the herds. This is when the Lomans get into the business. Eager to get into the growing meat industry, Carl and his brothers bought 1,200 head of reindeer from a lap herder who was looking to retire. Then, the well-financed family bought another. And another. And, well, you get the idea. By the middle of the 1920s, there were about 500,000 reindeer in Alaska. And it's estimated that about half of these animals were owned by the Lohman Corporation. The company sponsored reindeer fairs, rodeo-style events where herders from all over Alaska could compete in reindeer wrangling events and compare notes on the best techniques for lassoing, butchering, and even racing the animals. But it wasn't just the animals the Lomans owned. It was the whole reindeer supply chain. If you wanted to get your reindeer butchered and sold to anyone outside your own neighborhood, and in early 20th century Alaska, your neighborhood was sparse, you went through the Lomans. The family had controlling stakes in slaughterhouses, shipping stations, and refrigerated transport vessels that were key to getting reindeer meat to ports in the continental U.S. By 1926, the reindeer business was in full swing. So much so, in fact, that their competitors had begun to take notice. Cattle industry lobbyists had begun prodding members of Congress to outlaw the sale of reindeer meat. So Carl Lohman, by now known as the Reindeer King, started looking for some good advertising for his product. 
He found it in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, where his company's reindeer made natural partners for one of the most unimpeachably delightful characters in modern advertising, Santa Claus. Now, Loman didn't actually come up with the idea of pairing reindeer with Santa. The notion of a sleigh driven by the animals goes back to Nordic legends and was enshrined in modern mythology by the 1822 poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. When what to my wondering eye should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles his courses they came as he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer, now Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. Carl Lohman wasn't even pitching the first appearance of reindeer in the parade. The department store's inaugural event in 1924 featured a Santa whose sleigh was pulled by a team of six live reindeer, courtesy of the Central Park Zoo. The deer were in good company, too. In its first years, the parade featured deer, monkeys, even bears on loan from the institution. In early parades, these sorts of animals were the main attraction for the six-mile-long march. Long walks, wild animals, and thronging New York crowds didn't exactly mix well, though. By 1926, Macy's was looking for a way to phase out the furry, growling portions of the show, replacing them with the event's now iconic balloons. It wouldn't do to have Santa attended by a bunch of balloon animals, though. So, Loman offered reindeer from his company's own herds, and the more people-friendly animals, attended by expert Sammy and Lap herders, were a hit. The Lohman brothers were just getting started, though. They pulled 100 reindeer from a group near Golovin, Alaska, and began training them for holiday appearances all across the United States. In the short term, the plan was some fun, festive merriment around the holidays. In the long term, it was to develop markets for the animals as steaks and sausages by introducing them as Santa's beloved, and presumably delectable, companions. Lohman's reindeer attended Santa in parades in Philadelphia, Boston, Portland, San Francisco, and St. Louis, to name just a few. Not all the enthusiasm was organic, though. In his memoir, Fifty Years in Alaska, Carl Lohman describes how he, pretending to be a young girl, would pen letters to the local newspapers asking for Santa, if he was real, to show himself in her hometown. Inevitably, Santa himself, also Lohman, would respond to these missives, and after some arm-twisting, would be convinced by his young admirer to appear in her town. The exchange of real telegrams between Lohman's two alter egos regularly made the front pages of local papers, drumming up excitement for Santa's appearances alongside an honor guard of reindeer. In many cities, department store chains signed on as sponsors of these events, paying handsomely for the well-publicized appearances. Meeting Santa and his reindeer became a rite of passage for kids, who brought along parents with Christmas shopping to do. And if those parents learned a little bit about the animal's virtues as a main course during the trip, well, there was no harm done. The success of the parades, and of the Lohman Corporation's reindeer business, was not to last. After the stock market crashed in 1929, meat consumption plummeted. 
Families during the Great Depression were hard-pressed to afford flour, much less exotic meats from the frozen north. And, as meat sales suffered, the once booming business of public appearances dried up even more quickly. The Great Depression, after all, is not generally noted as a time of grand parades. The final blow, though, didn't come until the end of the Depression. That's when Congress passed the Cattle Industry-Backed Reindeer Act of 1937, restricting the ownership of reindeer herds to native Alaskans, which was always supposed to be the case. Soon, the Loman Corporation's massive herds were sold back to the U.S. government for $720,000, just a couple of bucks ahead. While the Lomans would never sell another reindeer, that didn't mean the reindeer were finished selling Christmas. As America's economy began to recover in 1939, an illustrator from Montgomery Wards added the most recognizable member of Santa's stable. From his humble beginnings as a department store coloring book, a red-nosed reindeer named Rudolph would take the world by storm. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw it You would even say it glows Songs, All stories, and feature films about this misfit caribou cemented an antlered sleigh team as an inextricable part of Christmas legend, even as the memory of live reindeer parades faded into obscurity. Menagerie is written and produced by Ian Chant. That's me. Our theme music is O Susquehanna by Defiance Ohio. If you'd like to learn more about the history of Alaska's animals, please go back to the archives, listen to episode three of our show about some of the world's most impressive sled dogs. And if you like today's show, do us a favor, tell a friend about it. You can also subscribe to the show on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you do listen on iTunes, be a pal, rate and review the show. It only takes a second and it really helps other people find us. We'll be back in January with a new story for the new year. Until then, happy holidays, and thanks for listening. 